Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. I am Andrew, an Autistic Certified Financial Planner. I co-run Adulting on the Spectrum with Eileen Lamb. Hey, Eileen. Hey, everyone. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. And today, our guest is Nell Russ. Nell is an autistic comedian and a self-professed nerd and probably given us the shortest bio we've ever asked for, which is really impressive for a podcast that only has autistic guests. So that's the extent of her bio. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, cool. So what, uh, what's your preferred uh, identity language when it comes to autism? Person with autism, uh, autistic, on the spectrum, and what are your preferred pronouns? On the spectrum and she, her. Cool. I think you're the first one uh, to give us that answer the, on the spectrum. I love. I like it too. Really? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say, eh, I don't care, or autistic, or person with autism, but on the spectrum, I think it's the first. Well, we'll have to check now. Yes, we will. <laughs> I think we, we have somebody who's fact-checked all our episodes. We should email our, our, our resident fact-checker, probably. That's right. Yes. Okay. Um so can you tell us about when you were diagnosed with autism and, and what that experience was like, assuming you were old enough to remember? So the whole process actually began when I was really little. As soon as I started preschool, my parents were got they got reports from the teachers that I wouldn't want to interact with other kids, avoided crowds. Like they would read a story to the class, but I would have my back turned and just a whole lot of anxiety in kindergarten and you know, got medicated for that. But I didn't know that it was on a spectrum until I was in high school. It was, um, it was my junior year. And I was on the bowling team. And one of the other people on the team had Asperger's. And she was like, can I ask you a personal question? And I said, yeah, sure. And she was like, do you have Asperger's? Cause I do. And that kind of got me into the whole headhunting and searching thing and the whole reading up on it. And I finally got diagnosed when I was 16. Did you, or do you have any other diagnosis other than autism? And uh, why do you feel that autism is the correct diagnosis? So the other stuff I have going on is, um, anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, and um, major depression and bipolar 2 disorder. And I, um, I figured autism was the uh, correct one because, you know, because I had been like pegged all through school as like, you know, originally it wasn't autism they pegged me with. It was just sort of more of a deal. Like, you know, she's definitely struggling in ways that other kids aren't, but I didn't fit back then early in elementary school into the very classic definition of autism at the time. It was um, 2000 and 2001, and I was just beginning elementary school. They were still looking for what presented like level three autism, like the delayed speech and the repetitive behaviors and the using people as objects and all that and um, didn't really take into consideration at that point in time, the, um, that, that high function could exist. You're like, well, she's really complicated because she doesn't fit into any of these boxes, but 
stuff is definitely weird. So, so your official diagnosis was uh, Asperger's. Do you still yes. use the term? Do you? How do yeah. you feel? About it? Yeah. I feel yeah. I feel it's. I feel it's still important to use the term because I think it adds a greater differentiation for what we need for diagnostic categories. Because you know, just the other stuff just doesn't fit. Like the other categories, like, because yeah, I think of autism, still think of a little more impaired and Asperger's, not as much. So still obviously a disability, but not quite as much. Yeah, I, I wish you hadn't, you know, removed Asperger's and then it was still a separate diagnosis. Because like when I say I have autism, uh, like compared to my oldest son, who's like nonverbal, intellectually disabled, it's like, I mean, it's weird that it's the same diagnosis, you know. I, so I still say Asperger's for myself. Yeah, because it's like, how do we even share the same spectrum if one need, one has needs that are this severe and the other doesn't? It's just weird. Yeah. Now, um, you are a comedian. Yeah, I am. Stand and up. so, which, and again, I, I, I like to think that, um, you know, the, the more, you know, trauma somebody has in their past, the, the darker their humor and the funny, funnier they are. So <laughs> how funny are you and what got you into comedy? I think I'm quite funny actually. And um, it originally started because when I was um, in high school and finally making some friends for the first time, like I wasn't even really trying. I would just make blunt observations about stuff and people somehow thought they were hilarious. And I'm like, I wasn't even trying to make a joke and they just thought that I was. And I remember one of my friends said, you should do stand up comedy. And then I kind of brushed it off at the time, but then in the summer of 2017, then I started it for the first time. It was at it was at the church that my parents went to. It was at the church talent show, and I didn't know what I was doing. So, yeah, but people liked it enough, and I'm like, I want to continue this, and so I did. How often do you do you do it? Do you do uh, how do they call those open mic uh, nights and stuff? Oh yeah, like that? plenty plenty of open mics and. Yeah, starting to do a lot more shows. This is my fourth year of comedy. So, yeah. No, I like it. I love it. It's pretty That's great. awesome. Can you give us a few jokes? You know, this is yes. adulting on the spectrum, so you can curse, say whatever you want. So. Yeah, one of my early jokes is if there was a support group for atheists, I wouldn't believe it. That's good. How do, how do people react to that one? Because oh, people of- love that, yeah. I uh, joke a lot about autism, actually. And so my intro joke for that bit of my set is, I was autistic as a kid, still am. And then, yeah, there's a whole lot. There's a whole lot there. So again, when you think about like social anxiety, right? Like I, I feel like in a lot of ways, I can't think of something almost more anxious than like, you know, stand-up comedy where you're trying to get people to, you know, laugh at you um right and you know i can just imagine that being just very difficult but at the same time i've noticed it myself and noticed with a lot of other people when they're talking about again their special interest or doing something that they truly enjoy you know they're really you know social situations are a lot better right or it's like 
yeah, I mean, again, just start asking Eileen about tennis balls, right? Um, no, but and it's true, but like, you know, love talking about, you know, what interests them. So is that how stand-up comedy is, you know, for you? Because um, on the surface, it seems like very counterintuitive, um, you know. So basically what goes on with me is I don't have the classic social anxiety, not the diagnosis. It's like I almost have it in reverse, like talking up close and personal with people is difficult. But when I'm on stage, you know, I control what jokes I want to tell and I set the pace and it's not the world setting the pace for me and messing me up and whatever to just be able to just have that. And I can take the audience on a ride like uh, you take them this way. And no, actually, we're going over here now. And I just like, I don't know, I guess I just like having that power. And I've always liked performing anyway. It's always just felt better than real life a lot of the time. So is it a like a, you like being in control? Because I know like for me, I have a general anxiety disorder, too. And like when things get out of my control, that's when I start like the anxiety just completely like overwhelms me so I can understand what you say I still couldn't do what you're doing but it it makes sense because you're in control like you said you're the one running the show right yeah and also the way that comedy works for me is that it's it's unpredictable but in a very predictable kind of way like you understand like there could be a wide variety of reaction to your sets some jokes might land others might not odd situations, odd happenings happen at like mics and shows, like if there are like comics who are like kind of like weird and creepy or like they're just like bigots, like you never know when that's going to happen either. And so, yeah, in contrast to like any number of happenings in the outside world, which you have no idea what could come your way. It's just like, yeah, like you can genuine, generally tell when you can generally tell like a whole array of things that could happen in comedy. So, yeah. What uh, misconception do you find in regards to autism and humor? Um, well, there's that whole thing that autistic people don't get jokes. They don't have a sense of humor and it's like, no, we do, but it's not always going to be the kind of humor that typical people enjoy. Like, me, I love puns. I love that sort of language humor and humor that's a bit darker and like not a lot of people kind of enjoy that comedy. The kind of comedy that most people like to digest is that long narrative story comedy, observational comedy. And I could never do observational comedy. I don't know what people do. And so I just can't. <laughs> and so, yeah, just that that wordy humor is, yeah, it's my bread and butter. I love it. So again, you know, so being a performer, getting on stage, you know, again, attempting to start your own business uh, based upon getting people to like you when phrase like that, it sounds like the complete opposite of what any autistic person would, you know, be good at. Um, you told us a little bit like how you excel at it um, or, you know, but what was it, you know, was it hard to get started? Are you doing it, you know, again, a bit more hobby? It sounds like you're starting to get, again, paid, you know, somewhat. Yeah. More question on just like starting your, like, because you did, you started your own business, right? Um, well, I would say both yes and no, because to truly have a brand and make a regular living in comedy, you have to do it for a lot longer. So it's still 
not at the point, and I don't think it will be for some years yet where I could actually support myself. I want to get there one day, but I can't right now. And so right now it's just a little tiny little side job that I can just get you, but I do eventually want it to become a huge thing. You know, Andrew and I are really extremely sarcastic. And uh, why do you think some people with autism are like us and others can't pick up on sarcasm at all? Well, sometimes it's really difficult because some people will exaggerate their sarcasm, but some others, it'll sound pretty seamless. Like Like they're just talking about something and it's like, yeah, sometimes it slips under the radar, but some other people, it's like, no, they're sarcastic because, okay, they're exaggerating it to a point that's funny, but some other people don't. And so that's when it gets confusing. <laughs> yeah. I think Eileen and I would each fall in the confusing category, but yeah. we we know each other well enough where we just yeah. assume, I, I think. Would, would you say that's fair, Eileen? Yeah, that's, that's funny. Or sometimes we will like, wait, are you being sarcastic or not? Like we... We assume each other is, I think sometimes, you know, we're like, oh, no, wait, you're serious. You really are drowning and you need me to save you. Mm -hmm. Sorry, too late. Yeah. That uh, that cliche about autistic people and autism is really funny to me because I feel like I am way more sarcastic than the average person. And like, you know, you read about how autistic people like they can do sarcasm and like, like it's my language you know it's <laughs> did you grow up in a sarcastic household I mean, my father was so sarcastic like it's just like like you said it's yeah. like my language like it's just how we spoke same so I think that's probably something that's learned with like growing up in a household oh yeah I never thought about it but yeah yeah huh. how about you Nail? I kind of have to get like either really annoyed or like in a mega goofy mood to be sarcastic. And even then it's like, like everybody like knows I am. And so it's just like, kind of like overly excessively bitey sometimes. And no, that doesn't go over well with a lot of people, but sometimes just, but sometimes it does. And sometimes get a laugh out of that. So that's cool. So any tips that you would give to other autistic individuals who want to like pursue their passions, their dreams, they're told they can't, you know, um, what advice would you give to anyone? Because again, you're, you seem to be doing that. Yeah, I think it would really depend on the person and it would depend on the specific type of um, interest. Stand-up is a little harder to sell because it's really rare to be really good at it. Most people are going to, you know, fall on their faces the whole time they try it and get really discouraged. And so if you're able to put up with a lot of just falling down and falling down and failing, then yeah, I'd say, honestly, go for whatever, I guess, don't really get too attached to whatever expectation you have, just like keep it open, that sort of thing. What a hatred, if any, have you experienced, especially talking about your autism at a comedy show, I mean, insults are almost expected. Uh, How do you deal with them if that's happened to you? That's actually never really happened. Um, That doesn't mean that it couldn't, but it, but it hasn't. I, um, I was in a comedy contest a, uh, a few days ago and, you know, 
a lot of times at comedy shows, people will heckle. So I started my autistic as a kid bit. Someone in the audience just goes, ah, and I wasn't sure if they were trying to like joke on. So I just shouted, pity me. And then that got a pretty solid crowd reaction. <laughs> That's good. How about online? Are you active online? Do you get any head there? No, not really. I'm not important enough for hate, I guess. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. But yeah, I could have actually. Eileen has some tips if you want to be hated by almost everyone on the internet. She's a pro. Yes. Yeah. Just say ABS European. There you That's go. That's it. <laughs> like, hey, this kind of sucks for me sometimes. You're ableist. Yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, the internet's disgusting. It, it sucks. So, one thing that really, you know, interested me is. You say you have a heavy metal interest, and I'm not yep. talking about like the poisonous ones from CSI, um, the, <laughs> the music. Yeah. Um, so, but and you also have again a, a noise sensitivity, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. So basically, I don't like loud noises that are uncontrolled and that I have no control over. And it depends on the kind of sound too. Like if it's like something sudden and sharp that makes me jump that's usually not cool or the loud continuous noises at like festivals or stuff or yeah if it's not within my control I'm not a fan but if but if I am and when I can turn down or turn up the volume whenever I want then then that's always fun and also a lot of folks who make heavy metal the big bands are also just good musicians and they know what they're doing and they know how to play with sound and place it. So I, I, I do love that very much. So you have a love for history too. Is that right? Mm-hmm, definitely. Especially I wish other people. You wish other people did too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are just like, <laughs> they don't want to talk about the bubonic plague. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> you know, in France, I feel like, a we have a i'm from france yeah in yeah. case you haven't noticed yeah, uh, we we have a more interest in history i don't know if it's because the country has more history mm. stuff maybe but uh, even in school it's pushed like a lot i mean more than than here uh, like, uh well <laughs> we learn about like war i mean all the wars obviously because yeah. you know world one world war two but also like the oh, times yeah. of like the kings and all of that i mean we have like you know our history yeah. way way back and yeah yeah so like i don't know how the education system is in france but if it's better and they teach history better that might also help for people to learn to like history because yeah in america history is just a lot of teachers just droning on about facts and dates and not really illustrating the relevant the relevance to any of it and if you're already interested in history it's no big deal but if you're not it's really hard to get into history when it's just like memorize this 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 you know yeah well you know i think it really depends on the teacher you get but we do a lot of that you know date what happened on that date and i had a really good memory so like i would get good yeah, grades but i wouldn't like 
really enjoy what I was uh, learning. And I think I, it took me years to get into history until I got a good teacher. So like, I think yeah. you're right. It really depends how it starts. Uh, it's, is it true that you are especially interested in the med medieval times? Is oh, yeah. Medieval yeah. times are very interesting. One of my uh, favorite books that I actually have on it, it's like a travel guide slash history book. It's called Time Traveler's Guide to Medieval England. And it's like fully immersive, like as you're like walking like through the time, like the stuff you'll see like in the period and just really fascinating facts. And so that's a lot of fun. How do you think autism was looked at uh, back then? Like how how was it for like someone like, you know, maybe my, my oldest son, Charlie, who's nonverbal and severe. And how about people like us? Um. Well, well, yeah, usually like those folks would just be cared for, but if the behavior was really erratic, like, no, oh, is this person bewitched? Like, do they need an exorcism or something? Definitely. So yeah, probably it would be hard. It would be really hard. Yeah, I mean, even mm -hmm. just a few years ago, in like 2030 was already not yeah, well understood, yeah. so... Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, I think, Andrew, do you have any other question? I think that was, that was it. No, I think that's good. Well, yeah, we're going to do something that's, it's called quick fire questions. So I'm going okay. to ask you some questions and you tell me like, you know, no overthinking, first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Go for it. Do you have a favorite quote? And if so, what is it? It would be, if you can't make yourself laugh, make others laugh, pretty soon you'll be laughing along with them. Favorite comedy movie? I don't know if I have a favorite comedy movie, but I would have to say one of the specials I like the most is by this comedian, also another autistic comedian, Hannah Gadsby. And so she also does like a whole lot of word humor. And in her 2019 special, called Douglas, she has this whole part. She's really interested in art history. So in the second half of her show, just poking fun at like different, like classical paintings and like the really funny stuff in there. And so that was something I've never seen in a special before. So that was really neat. It's kind of like your two special interests together, right? Yeah, together. And it was done really well. She's an excellent comedian. What is your favorite drink, alcoholic or not? Um, I would have to say non-alcoholic, say cherry Coke, alcoholic, um, as for alcoholic, I would say screwdrivers. What is that? It's uh, orange juice and vodka together. Oh, I never heard that term. It's really good. Who's your favorite comedian? I think you may have answered that. That was the best special I've ever seen, but my favorite favorite comedian it's a die between um mitch hedberg and stephen wright also very wordy comedians so what was your dream job as a child um the only thing that i can distinctly remember i um i had a phase for a time i would it was like when i was like from ages like seven to nine I was really interested in this show called Animal Cops and these there'd just be a bunch of animal rescue officers who would rescue 
animals from the most deplorable conditions ever. And I was fascinated by it. And I was like, hey, I want to be that when I grow up. I want to like rescue animals from living hell and just help them and all that. But other than that, I don't remember like I want to do this. It's always felt like a one of those chunky questions that's hard to like realize when you're younger and already like not in sync with the world. Like we want to be when you grow up. I don't know what's there. <laughs> you're not really on social media, but is there anywhere people can uh, can find you? Um, Facebook, to tell you the truth, I'm on social media every day, but it's mostly just liking stuff on Facebook and commenting on a few things. But where you can find me, where you can find my comedy is on Facebook. Just type in Nell Russ Comedy in the search bar and that'll bring you to my comedy page. And I'm also on Instagram and my user handle is um, lowercase N-E-L-L and then underscore and then razor. So cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave links to in the description so people can find you well thank you for talking with us today that was that was awesome i like that you you do comedy as an artistic adult because it kind of breaks that uh you know misconception cliche about it so yeah awesome yeah cool so much thanks for coming